Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Pastor, thanks for the introduction. Uh, again, my name is Matthew Rojek, and along with my wife, Betty, uh, we've been members of MAC for over nine years. I'm very grateful, Pastor Leon, giving me the opportunity to preach. And I'm really grateful that the vision of MAC about seeing communities transform both physically and spiritually, starting with our own. Betty and I have seen that clearly since we've been here, not only in the past, but it's in the present, and we're confident that it's going to continue to be in the future. So uh, thank you, Pastor. And I would just wanted to say a shout out to Antoine. Although I've never met you yet, brother, looking forward to meeting you, high-fiving you. Wanted to say thank you for being uh, the executive director of MAC Development, which put hands and feet and faces to the gospel that we preach at MAC. Um, the title of today's sermon is Creation Eagerly Awaits. And I got to tell you, it was a great blessing when Rebecca spoke the scripture she did before worship because she had no idea that that's the absolute center of the context of what I'm going to be preaching today. So uh, grateful for the Lord. And you're going to find out even more later as we, as I share, like how much that means to me that the Lord would be give me that grace. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your son. As we are in the midst of Advent, we're grateful that we have that Savior as a present in our life, whereas the Israelites did not. And all they had was hope, but it was a strong hope. So, Lord, for the hopeless that are out there today, for a variety of reasons, Lord, would you bring them hope? Lord, would you send your son? Would you send the Holy Spirit? And would you send us to be voices of righteousness, leaders in action for the gospel. Lord, uh, would you give the congregation and anyone listening ears to hear and a mindset to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Pastor mentioned, we're in the Advent season. And he also mentioned that the word Advent means, I looked a little bit further and it's the arrival of a notable person, thing, or an event. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And as Christians, we've taken that word advent and the notable arrival of, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. And the event is not only his birth, but what's gonna transpire because of that. And that's the salvation of mankind. And Pastor, last week, I'm not sure if he said it this week, but he darkened the auditorium and he's asked you at home, I think, to pull the shades and darken your room to give us a small taste of what Israel experienced for years and years of bondage and years of animal sacrifice waiting for what Jeremiah 1713 calls Jesus, and that is the hope of Israel. Not a hope, but the hope of Israel. So I'd, I'd ask you now even consider standing in the Israelites' shoes for a moment with this hope that's unseen. Creation eagerly awaits Today, as Pastor mentioned, we're talking, the, the topic is hope. And hope 
is an optimistic state of mind about the future. But the caveat here is that it's done so based on uncertainty. You don't know the outcome of something that you hope for. That's what hope is. It's an optimistic mindset. Yes, I can get there. Yes, I can see through to that. Now, because we're believers, we add God to the mix of our hope. And between his word, his promises, the fulfillment of the prophecies of a coming Savior, a coming Messiah, our hope is strengthened by the addition of God and the mindset of the scriptures and the understanding of the gospels. But there still is an uncertainty. And Rebecca read in Romans 8, it's about 21, Paul or the, the apostle, or forgive me, the author of Romans states that they're waiting for this adoption, which is in fact the redemption of their mortal bodies. Now, I'd ask you to think now, we all have what I would call maybe heroes of hope, and not just Christians, but men and women who have set before them a cause. They hope to accomplish something, or something's been set before them. My daughter-in-law had leukemia when she was 13 years old, and her hope was victory. Her hope, her optimistic mindset was that she would be healed one day, but she didn't have a certainty other than she had prayed and asked the Lord for comfort, and he did. But by very definition, hope is based on uncertainty. Think about people that you've read about, books that you've read, articles you've read, where people have traversed into the Amazon in search of cures, in search of animals, in search of buried treasure, or they've climbed the Himalayan mountains to conquer something, to reach the peak, the pinnacle. But something happened. Circumstances intervened. And all of a sudden, their hopes became dashed. But through mental fortitude, through perseverance, through this optimistic mindset, they set about gaining the victory, coming down from the mountain or going up to the mountain to descend or making it out of the jungle. You and I have heard all of these stories. Creation eagerly awaits. So I'd ask right now that you think about a hope or a dream a hope that you've set for yourself, or maybe as a teenager you thought about it, being the first one in your family to graduate college. Maybe your hope was to find a, a, a spouse and get married, or to have children. Think about how long that hope for you has been around. A month? A year? six years, 10, 20 years. Now, once again, travel back to me, travel back with me to put yourself in Israel's shoes, in Joseph's 
shoes who we'll talk about soon. Generation upon generation, scores of them, thousands of years, Israel had a hope. The hope of Israel to come, the Messiah, the Savior, the great sin eater. And have that mindset as we walk through the scriptures today. Again, we discussed jo- or we're going to discuss Joseph, and I want to bring you back to the scripture I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 13, who calls Jesus the hope of Israel, but they didn't know who he was then. Now, Joseph's literary presence in the Gospels is very underwhelming. Uh, between Matthew and Luke, it's barely over 400 words, and some of those don't even mention him by name. They mention him as a parent. But there are a number of things that I'd like to point out about Joseph. So we're going to discuss the passages in Matthew, uh, Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. Remember, creation eagerly awaits. And uh, the scripture, I think it starts with maybe verse 18, where it says, and this is how Jesus's birth came to pass. Mary and Joseph were to be engaged to become wed. And then something happened that got in the way, and Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. And so the scriptures say, and there's a variety of words that they use here. I've used the Holman translation, but I think Jenny's got the ESV up there. But in the Holman translation and a number of other ones, they say, but Joseph being a righteous man, chose to put Mary away to divorce her privately, not publicly. And I want to focus on that word righteous. Other versions say just. Another version I read said a keeper of the law of Moses. Where does this righteousness come from? It comes from a relationship with God. And we understand, as reading the scriptures, that that term rarely is appointed to a man or a woman unless they are just totally connected to God, loving him from their heart, what they know of him. And I would declare to you that this righteousness that pertains to Joseph was all because of hope. For generations, for thousands of years, Joseph has heard of this coming Messiah, creation, eagerly awaiting the arrival of this notable person, this Savior. And the only reason most any of us act righteously is because of our hope in God. We trust, in fact, that at the end of our lives, there is going to be a reward, or that there's a reward even now in obeying God. Righteousness comes from that relationship and from that hope that leads to righteousness come these other characteristics, the fruits of the Spirit that you and I are exhorted to live out. So we're going to talk about a couple of them. We're going to start with the very end of that passage that I read where it said, Joseph being a righteous man, not wanting to shame Mary made up his mind to privately divorce her. And that's a gift of mercy 
that Joseph gave to Mary, to Joseph, and to you and I. Think about what would have happened if by the letter of the law, he went public to save his own reputation. Mary and, Joseph, or Mary and Jesus would be outcasts. Mary would have been shamed. Her parents would have been shamed. And the backlash that came from that public embarrassment, that public scolding, would have been overwhelming. And as I was pondering this and I thought, later on in the scriptures when Jesus is grown, there's some sarcasm against him. Isn't he Mary and Joseph, that carpenter's son? And they're saying, like, he doesn't come from any theological wealth of background. Who are his teachers? And then another person said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can you imagine what would have happened if they would have heaped that as well? Man, he was born out of wedlock. But because Joseph, a righteous man, chose mercy to put away her privately. And then what happens? An angel comes to him as he's sleeping. An angel of the Lord and says, Joseph. It's okay. Take Mary as your wife. For the child that's within her is born of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son. You're to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from sin. And, and what does that end of that verse say? When he got up, he went and took Mary as his wife. Didn't know her, per se, in the marriage way until Jesus was born. But immediate obedience on Joseph's part. Tracks back to righteousness, tracks back to hope. So the second characteristic quality I want to talk about a little bit in Joseph is obedience. And it appears to be it's immediate obedience. Later in chapter 2, Herod becomes king. The wise men come visit Herod say, hey, we saw this star. We want to go find this guy. So they end up finding Jesus. They come and worship him. And they leave. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go to bed. Joseph has a dream. An angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, Herod's out to kill Jesus. You need to bail and go to Egypt. And from the inference of the scripture, he woke up right away, midnight, two o'clock in the morning, whenever the angel came. Immediate obedience. Flew or uh, went to Egypt, escaping Herod's wrath. Then Herod dies. Another king comes to his place. Angel comes to Joseph in a dream. Says, hey, it's okay to go back. Joseph takes his family immediately when he got up, the scriptures say, took his family, and they were on their way. But then Joseph heard something, some rumoring, that another king had taken Herod's place, and that in fact he was another evil king. So Joseph was going to detour, and again, he had another dream. Angel said, nope, you got to skate to Nazareth. Instant obedience. He got up and left immediately for Nazareth. Creation eagerly awaits. Now as we talk, and I mentioned hope as being an optimistic state of mind with this uncertainty. We're going to talk about a passage and I wanna tell you a quick story. As I was preparing for this sermon, 
I, w- I was reading through the scriptures, and one of the scriptures is the Romans 8.24 where it talks, and it says, For we hope that for which we do not see, for if we see it, then it's no longer hope. We have that possession. But I wanted to make sure that I looked at that scripture in the context of the scripture surrounding it. So I went all the way back to verse 18, and I was reading 18 through 26. A verse jumped out at me where the title of this sermon comes from. And man, I was so excited. I'm like, man, this is the perfect scripture. This ties everything together. I can build everything around it. This is what I was looking for. So I read 18 through 26, another two, three, four, five, six times. After I read it to understand the context, I closed my eyes and I began praying and I began memorizing portions of the verses so that I could just speak them to you instead of reading it. And all of a sudden, I came to the conclusion that I had taken the verse that I want to use as the basis of the sermon. I'd taken it completely out of context. And I'm all like, oh, no, Lord, I, I've got my sermon built around this thing. And I prayed, and, man, I, I was freaked out. What do I do? And I just felt a, a, a comfortness, a calm to go ahead and use this scripture because in and of itself, it speaks a truth that in other places of the scripture, it confirms this. So if you look at 18 through 26, the creation that is referred to there is everything outside of humankind. Trees, sky, water, animals. They're groaning for the, because they're in the same bondage that you and I are before Christ. But the specific passage that I'm talking about is Romans 8, 19, and it says, For creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now wrap your mind around this again. For creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for the sons of of God to be revealed. And again, in the original context, of that creation is everything other than mankind. But I'm telling you, I'm going to treat this as if creation are the other image bearers that God has created that are outside of the family of God. And when I, when I read this verse and, and eagerly awaits with anticipation, first thing I thought of is we're coming up to Christmas We all know what it's like to have gotten anticipating a gift and then you open it and you've got that gift and you're just joyful, gleeful that you've gotten that gift. And then I immediately thought back to Zachariah and Elizabeth. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, what happens to uh, Elizabeth? John the Baptist leaps in her womb. Creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. And then Simeon in the temple. I mean, he went so far as after beholding Jesus and grasping that he had been waiting and God had promised him that his death would not come until he saw the Savior of Israel. He said, Lord, I'm ready. Take me home. And Anna, the prophetess, man, she was in the temple every day. She eagerly waited with anticipation the coming of the Savior. 
So I'm going to offer you this other version of this scripture where creation are those outside of the kingdom of humankind. And I want to say that you and I and other believers are the sons of God that are to be revealed. And 1 Peter 3.15 backs this up when it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to those who inquire about the hope that is within you. One more time. Always be prepared to give an answer to those who inquire about the hope that is within you. As believers... I say nothing should get us down emotionally, at least not for very long, because we have the hope of Christ. Creation eagerly waits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. And what does that look like? How am I piecing this together? When you and I expressed Christ in words, as we share with our friend or our neighbor or our classmate, your spouse, our parents, your siblings, your co-workers. And I think I said it, but I'm going to say it again. Our neighbors, as you and I express who Christ is with our words, telling them of the gospel, of this anticipated one. We are revealing ourselves as men and women, sons and daughters of God. For what purpose? That we can reveal to them the Son of God. It's in our words. It's in our actions. Remember Joseph, a righteous man who acted in mercy and acted in obedience. Now, I will tell you, as we are revealed as sons and daughters of God, two things are going to happen. And I think it's in 2 Corinthians 2. I think Jenny's got the scripture. But what it says basically is, as we're revealed, you're talking to your neighbor, you're talking to your parents, you're talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and we're talking about Christ, or your actions prove your hope in him because you're doing things you wouldn't normally do. Others are going to observe that, and they're going to be one of two reactions. Second Corinthians talk. Second Corinthians two talks about us being a fragrant aroma of life to people who have no hope. Or the second part of that verse says, "We're going to be a stench of an aroma to people who do not choose." that life that we're offering them. So I'd like to kind of close to give you guys some ideas of what this looks like. The minor prophet Micah in the Old Testament is often quoted. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 8, is a bit of a cliff notes of what it means to be a Christian. And again, uh, what, what Jenny's got up on the board is the contemporary English standard. 
And as I was or in English version, CEV, as I was reading through, as reading through different verses, I just love the way this talks. So hopefully you're asking me, well, what do we do to be revealed as the sons of God? And I'm going to tell you again, word and deed. Micah says, and he's talking to his audience, the Israelite nation, as well as you and I today. And he's talking about God. And he says, he, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. He has shown you. He's given it to you in his law. He's given it through the example of Joseph and other righteous men and women. What is good and what is required of you. And I love the simplicity of this. List three things. First thing is, see to it that justice is done. See to it that justice is done. And what is justice? I think in a nutshell, if you look through the Old Testament and places in the New Testament, God or Jesus are always referring to the unknown, the underprivileged, the alien, the orphan, the widow, the neglected, the sickly, the poor, the cast down, the underdog. Justice is done when you and I do two things. We speak out so that others may hear of these needs. And we say there are other voices that are not being taken into account or they're being silenced or they're being neglected or they're cast off because, oh, maybe they don't fit the correct theology. You and I have a voice of justice when we speak out against injustice. And the actions that can come from that. And I'll just tell you right now, again, I've never even met Antoine, but I'll tell you, call him up and he's going to have some actions of justice for you because he's going to introduce you to Elise so that you can become a tutor and help children who, for whatever reason, aren't up to their level, their grade level, in being able to read. And justice is going to be done as we serve these children, as we serve Elise to help people gain the communication skills, to be able to read, which is the fundamental idea of education, to be able to allow them to continue to grow, to grasp, to move on, to understand, to consider careers. Or he's going to turn you over to Roger, and Roger's going to bring you in as a coach or a mentor or a referee, and he's going to help you and show you how to assist young men and women with athletic skills that are life skills, discipline, unselfishness, team play, setting goals, and, and steps to get to those things. Justice is to be served by us working in the kingdom for those who might not be able to participate in golf or basketball, football, soccer, cheer, all the things that Roger's got going. And I don't know if you guys read this, I think it was this week's newsletter from Mac Development, but Roger was able to get, I'm pretty sure I got all this straight, he's able to get 300 sets of new soccer spikes. And everybody's elated, so they're picking out the kid and helping him get his foot fit in and making sure they fit, tying him right. Hey, how do these feel? He's comfortable, yeah. 
cool. And apparently one kid in particular was like overjoyed. He, he was just excited to have a, his first real pair of cleats. So everybody goes home. They come back I don't know, a week later for the game or tournament. And all of a sudden they look at this young boy and forgive me, I don't recall his name, but they look at him and he's got like tennis shoes on playing the game. And they're like, what happened? And so they didn't know what to do. So they went over and they said, Hey bud, like we got you these soccer spikes. How, how come you're not wearing them? And man, I, I can just envision the kid's face. He's all like, well, they're, they're too precious to me. I, I didn't want to get them dirty. I didn't want to hurt them. I didn't want to scuff them. It's a gift that I've received that I, I never thought I'd have. That's justice being done. Second point that Micah makes, and this one's great. Let mercy be your first concern. Guess what? Mercy's never my first concern unless it has to do with me. Unless I want to be shown mercy. Then it's my first concern. For the guy down the road, yeah, usually not. I usually have an idea like, well, what's he done to get himself in this situation? Why doesn't he go work? Why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't she do that? And I've got all of these little tidbits in my mind of why I'm not going to show mercy. I'll guarantee you some of Joseph's buds scolded him and said, hey, dude, protect your reputation. Get rid of Mary. Doesn't matter if you do it privately or publicly, get rid of her. And they thought he was an idiot for showing mercy. You and I have the opportunity to be revealed as sons and daughters of God as we offer those around us mercy. So much of what is offered by the world is condemnation or guilt or fear or frustration. And I just say to you, church, be people of mercy. In your words, when you encounter someone who is different than you, who doesn't talk the same way you do, has different ideas, who's beneath the totem pole of this structure that we've got going, and act in mercy. Because words, remember when Jesus says, like, man, your actions. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works. And what does he say? I'll show you my faith by my works. Words alone don't cut it. They're a tool. They're a venue for us to use. But mercy, man, when it's got shoe leather on it and you're paying the price for that mercy. I remember Betty and I were talking, man, a year or two ago, and she's reading. And Jesus says that he loves the unthankful. If there's one person I don't love, it's someone who doesn't say thanks. Man, that's like on the top of my list. And Jesus says, dude, you got to love the unthankful. That's what mercy's all about. It has nothing to do with the person, what they did or what they didn't do. It's an act of God that reveals that you and I are the sons and daughters of God so that we can then point them. Hey, what is this hope that's within you? What is this mercy thing? I, like, nobody's ever done that for me. The kid with the little shoes. Nobody's ever given me shoes. I'm, I'm going to protect these things. That's Christianity 101 in action. And then the last thing that Micah calls us to 
And he says, man, this wraps the whole thing up. Humbly obey God. Humbly obey God. Now, this humble and obedience, as long as I've been a believer, always seemed to be at the top of my list of the things that are like crucial or critical for you and I as believers. Why did Satan fall? Pride. Why did maybe even Eve fall? Because the nurse, or the serpent said, you're going to become like gods. Oh, you and I, as we traverse the neighborhood, our workplace with our peers, humility is going to give you an end to their lives because it's so rare to be truly seen. And God promises to reward you as a humble servant of his and obedience. If you think about it, we've been doing BSF for the last three years. And man, just constantly this idea comes up of obedience. And it appears to me, and this is Matthew Rojek speaking, obedience is the sole, is a sole indicator of if what you're saying in this thing is truth in here. I can't remember how many times Jesus equates if you're a believer with whether or not you follow and obey his words or his father's words. Obedience proves our words that we have hope for the final phase of adoption, the redemption of our bodies, either by death or by Christ coming back and we rise up to meet him in the air. So saints, I, I hope I've made it clear as I've pulled this verse out and showed you a little bit twist of it. For creation anxiously, anxiously awaits with anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's Advent. I'm going to close by asking you this question. Will you be the advent to the people's lives that surround you who do not know the Lord? Will you be the introduction to the arrival of this notable event? Christmas, the birth of Christ, this notable person, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. Lord, we're grateful for the Advent season where we can actually rest, take time, think about what it was to the Israelites, think about what it means to believers around the world to have the final expectation of that hope that they longed for so many years. And that's a savior to eat our sin and in its place, give us a righteousness that is received by the Father. Lord, may we live to that obedience in both word and deed. Lord, would you bury that truth deep within our souls, that it would sprout many roots, grow many trees, 
And that as we reveal ourselves to those around us as believers in Jesus Christ, Lord, that it would be a fragrant aroma to you and to them that they might inquire of the hope that is within us. And we can introduce them to Jesus Christ, the hope and Savior of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.